You're listening to Going Deeper in John, a weekly podcast through Term One as Norwest Anglican discovers the depths of God's beauty in John's Gospel. That person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. He deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. That was Martin Luther, the uh, 16th century reformer who... uh, saw some of the issues in the Roman Catholic Church and sought to return uh, Christ's bride to a biblical understanding Mm -hmm. of uh, who God is. Uh, And the key to it for Luther is seeing God through the cross. Mm -hmm. And when we see God through the cross, then we are clear. And welcome to another week of Going Deeper in John. Tim here in the host seat with James Lewis. Good G'day, morning, good James. Good morning, good morning. Just uh, instead of recording on Sunday night, we're recording Monday morning. So interesting to see how it plays out. A little bit of a uh, peek behind the curtain for our listeners. There are different members of staff who prefer different times to record the podcast. Some of the Sunday night crew, some of the Monday morning crew. James, this is not your preference to be recording no. on the Monday morning. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go indeed. It was a great day yesterday, James. Mm. And thinking about the glory of God as displayed in Christ on the cross. And uh, let's just get straight into John chapter 12 because that's where we were yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and certainly for those who haven't um, had a chance to listen to the sermon, it should be out on the podcast uh, in the next few days. And it's always on YouTube, but you can just go and find the 1030 uh, the stream. 30 stream. Mm. Uh, but John chapter 12, we have... Uh, Jesus becoming increasingly clear in Mm. his uh, words in John's gospel as to what he's set to do. And the thing that just strikes me from this chapter is 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, Mm. it was for Mm. this very reason I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Mm. Mm. And so the name of the Father is glorified as Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus is glorified as we go to the cross. Uh, as he goes to the cross. Um, and yesterday we're grappling with the question of why is that? Mm. Mm. Why is it that Jesus' glory is revealed in the cross? And you showed us, uh, James, uh, you walked us through in the sermon the um, the challenge of Jesus' glory, the beauty of Jesus' glory, and the surprise of Jesus' glory. Mm. And I wonder if you can start us off this morning by telling you, like, when we think about glory in the worldly sense, Glory in the world, what what is that? And then we'll get into Jesus and the cross and glory. Yeah, yeah. I guess the way I was thinking about it, there there is some overlap in the sense that seeing someone's glory is seeing them at their best, um, and probably seeing you know who they are in uh, in their in their real nature and seeing that sort of highlighted and displayed. So that that's common ground between us and God, but for us, that's so often. Um, about uh, achievement or, you know, kind of selfish promotion because we, we want people to see how amazing I am at this sort of thing. And and because we're so insecure, uh, we need to kind of, no, you've got to see, you got to, you know, I mean, social media is so full of promotes that insecurity uh, at all the time. I need the likes if I post something and no one like, and then I feel, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and, and 
God's glory. I think that's why the the, the scene on um, on Mount Sinai in Exodus thirty three and thirty four is so helpful because uh, Moses has an encounter with God. He can't look upon the face of God because um, he's he's not redeemed in that in the sense that we will be able to in glory. But um, but he can see the, the the glory of God, and that's seeing God. Um, uh, in his true nature and his character. So that's only if we had time to look at it. Uh, yesterday we would have kind of read a few, a few extra verses. Of it's, you know, he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful, you know, gracious, he's forgiving, and he's just. Uh, that's that's God's glory is his true nature and character. Um, uh, and so uh, that that's what that's what Jesus is promising in John 12. It's going to, it's going to be displayed. Yeah, because there's a tension that runs from Exodus through the biblical narrative, right? How, how is it that you can have a God who is uh, gracious and just? That they, they seem to be almost contradictory things. And in Exodus 33, uh, Yahweh says, I am both. Mm, mm. But it's, it's not clear at that moment as to how they fit together. Mm. And it's not until Jesus comes, John yeah. chapter 1, full of grace and truth, yeah, yeah. and the one who judges is the one who dies in our place. Yeah. And... The cross shows it brings it together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You see God's um, mercy and His His justice. So Romans three talks about Him being just and the one who justifies. Yes. So those two things happen together because um, the judgment that we deserve, um, the justice that we deserve, is laid upon the shoulders of Jesus on yeah. the cross. Um, and so God in Himself um, uh, rescues and saves us from His. Judgment. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So it's why you know I was thinking about this coming in because I was thinking about the Luther quote and I was thinking about you know he deserves to be called a theologian and you know how many of the listeners to this podcast go well I'm an aspirant theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this funny thing we we all kind of are theologians. Well, that's it. That's right. We're all thinking things about talk and saying things about God. That, that you're being a theologian. The question is whether you're one that's faithful to God and that's to His it. Bible. Yeah. And and when we when we have a moment of assurance that says Jesus has died in my place, we're being theologians. Mm. We're, we're, un, we're grappling with mm. what the Bible teaches us about who God and how he's acted in the world and applying that to our lives in a specific way and in a wonderfully reassuring way in that instance. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's the purpose of this series, that we, mm. we, we, we dig that little bit deeper, we grapple with who God is and how he's acted and the, yeah, yeah. the glory yeah, of Jesus yeah, and um, yeah. uh in specifically in uh, in this week, um, so putting our theologian hats on then, mm. um, uh, and we don't need to be scared of that, listeners. Okay, that's okay. It's a it's a warm and fuzzy hat. Okay, <laughs> it's a nice hat and it's a good hat to wear. Uh, putting those hats on, can you help us, James? With why is it that Jesus' glory is the cross rather than? And it's all part of his glory, mm. but the focus of, the, of his glory is on the cross rather than the resurrection or the ascension. Because mm. this came up in questions and comments a couple of yeah. times yesterday yeah. uh, really helpfully, yeah. people saying, well, I probably just naturally defaulted to sort of this the, the victory idea as Jesus' glory. Yeah. Can you help us understand yeah. why not? I, I love those questions because when people ask those questions, they're really grappling yeah. with the glory of the cross, which they might not have uh, kind of seen before. Um, and I, I guess I would say, if we kind of think about it from God's perspective, we we kind of say, why is it the cross is the glory, not the resurrection and, and ascension? And they are glorifying; um, they are part of God's glory. Um, but from God's perspective, you say, well, why wouldn't the cross 
be glory. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the thing is we tend to go, oh, well, based on how we think about glory and, and success or power or achievement triumph, we think, oh, well, that's like, you know, as I said, the uh, Q&C, like the hero comes through the hard times and gets to the, you know, wins the day. Um, and that's exactly what's happening on the cross. He wins the day. Yeah. Uh, it's just different to the way we experience because we cannot conceive of a, of a victory that's total and complete in, involving Jesus suffering on a cross. Yeah. And it, it, it speaks to just how um, different our thinking is. Um, and so when we're theologians, we need um, to make sure that we're, we're striving to think God's thoughts after him. Yes. So we're sitting under the scriptures and asking for God's spirit to open our eyes, to move our hearts and wills, so that we're actually saying and thinking the right things about God, not kind of trying to import our worldly thinking in. Um, and so often you hear people say, oh, I like to think of God as, or if I was God, and all, you, all they're really telling you is more about themselves than yeah. not, rather than God. Um, and so that's why I think um, John 12 is so helpful. And, and often that's the way that I want God to be is a way that's going to involve yeah. less suffering for me. It's going yeah. to be a more comfortable yeah. existence for me. And we're going, well, that's not the way of the cross. No, that's right. And, and often it's just their experience of life. And so we make the mistake um, of, which is the medieval church, made the mistake of, of trying to work from us up to God. Yeah. Um, and one of the amazing things, which Luther picks up in that quote of the reformers, is they said, we've got to uh, ask, how is God toward us? Yes. So God, as God reveals himself to us, that's how we know who he is. And so on the cross, um, there is this moment where we peel back the curtain into the heavens, the very heart of God. And when you see Jesus dying on a cross, you see his true nature and the heart of God, which is self-sacrificing and self-giving. Uh, to the point of the agony of the cross. And that's why um, it's glory because you're seeing God's true character and he's winning the triumph. So in uh, verse 31, uh, the world is exposed. Uh, Jesus says, now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So you see that the, the world is revealed for its false values and its emptiness. It's judged and condemned uh, on the cross because it, it um, trashes Jesus and rejects him. Uh, they don't understand and the, the need for him to go to the cross for our sins. So the world is judged. Um, the great exorcism, the, de- the devil is cast out, his power is, is removed, um, and then Jesus draws all kinds of people to himself um, in faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that posture of humility of sitting with, with uh, the scriptures as God reveals himself to us and saying, well, who are you telling me you are? Mm, mm. Um, and and this is so Carl Truman on, on Luther. Uh, Luther had a um, dramatically restrictive view of revelation this, in a positive sense. Uh, God revealed Himself as merciful to humanity in the incarnation when He manifested Himself in human flesh, and when the and the supreme moment of that revelation was on the cross at Calvary. Indeed, Luther sometimes referred enigmatically to Christ crucified as God's backside, the point at which God appeared to be the very contradiction of all that one might reasonably have anticipated him to be. The theologians of glory, these are the ones from the earlier quote who don't deserve to be called theologians, therefore are those who build their theology in the light of what they expect God to be like, and, surprise, surprise, they make God to look something like themselves. Mm. The theologians of the cross, however, are those who build their theology in the light of God's own revelation of himself in Christ hanging on the cross, mm. uh, which is just what you were saying. Yeah, before. yeah, and, you, and you've got to say, well, if you can't kind of take that on board, then what you're saying is that actually the cross was a mistake, <laughs> that yeah. God had to um, repair 
by raising Jesus from the dead. You know, like, oh dear, that didn't end the way we wanted it. So I'll, I'll he did the right thing, but I'll, I'll you know, we're actually when you're saying that um, th- theology of the cross and God revealing Himself, He's actually this is exactly the point and the intent. Yeah. And God wants us to look upon the cross and go, look, this is me. Yeah. You know, this is what I'm like. Um, and to draw our theology and our understanding, our relating to God from the cross, not from our, you know ideas of glory or self-achievement or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's probably helpful for us to be a little bit self-reflective on that, that if we find ourselves being a little bit uncomfortable with the cross or a little bit squeamish about it, mm. or not, not, we'll come back to the idea of um, the, because uh, this came up in questions, comments mm. yesterday, but we'll come back to the idea of how we should think about the brutality and the grotesque nature of the cross, because mm. that's an interesting thing to think about. But if we find ourselves a bit uncomfortable or embarrassed by the idea of Jesus dying on the cross, I think it's worth unpacking that and what's going on inside mm. of us, mm. because that's probably a little moment of theology mm. of glory and saying, mm. I, I I wish that Jesus was different to who he is, because yeah. I would be yeah. more comfortable with that. That's right. And that's a spiritually dangerous place to be, Yeah, because the four Gospels drive us to the cross yeah. and the rest of the New Testament points us back to the cross yeah. and the resurrection yeah. as this is the key this thing. This is the moment, yeah. And so we need to be, yeah, we need, we need to be wary of any moment where we discern in ourselves a level of discomfort with what the Bible is saying is ultimately yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and, I, yeah, so I think you've, you've, you've got to kind of ask those hard questions of yourself. Why, why am I wrestling with this? Why I find it so difficult and unsettling. And there's probably some kind of comfort theology or glory theology going on there, which we need to reflect. And I think at the same time, we've got to be careful about not um, fixating on the, the mere suffering of the cross, like the physical yes. suffering. Well, that's what I was keen, that's what I was yeah. keen, to, get, keen to get into because this came up a couple of times yesterday in questions and comments as well. Again, really helpfully, mm. very mm. astute questions um, because you uh, helped us see, right, the necessary like graphic implications of how crucifixion happened, right? Like mm. people were on the ground, bound to the cross, nails in the hands, and then lifted up and then dropped into the hole. And then mm. you just, you know, that's quite a, mm. you get to imagine, imagine mm. the agony, right, of, of going through that. Um, I mean, we can't imagine it, but it's obviously pretty bad. Um, but like, as you say, um, the risk with a, uh, Passion of the Christ movie, for mm. instance, and you know, not a bad movie to watch as long as you brace yourself for it, but, <laughs> um, but I haven't seen it. Um, and the risk with that movie is that you can get the idea that Christ has paid for our sins um, purely by well, the, suffering. The, the extent physically. of the physical suffering. That's right. Yeah, and exactly. it's the, and it's the, it's the, um, you know, the self-flagellation yeah. that means that we are yeah. clean. And that's not the case. No. Because no. so bring us back to those Romans ideas. What is it that justifies us on the cross, and why is it not the physical suffering of Jesus yeah. that does it? Yeah, because he's um, uh, taking our sins upon himself. So was it uh, two Corinthians five <clears throat> says that uh, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, his son, perfect. Uh, to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. And that's the thing we looked earlier in the series, that uh, big phrase, the penal substitutionary atonement, that Jesus takes our penalty, he dies in our place. And so what's what's going on on the cross is not um, not purely the physical suffering, and we, we've got to be careful when we say, oh, I didn't really, because Jesus was God, didn't really hurt, you know, like it was sort of just a show. No, no, he, he really suffered. Like 
um, any of us physically would suffer if we were yeah. crucified. Like the Passover lamb yeah. suffers when yeah, it dies. Exactly. But um, the real, the salvation, the real power is that that is the moment where he's absorbing um, God's wrath at our sin upon himself. And that's not, um, you know, we've got to be careful about the charge that's sometimes thrown about cosmic child abuse that, you know, the father is punishing his <clears throat> his son, but actually they, when we understand the Trinity, that there is a unity of purpose and love um, that uh, this is the, what they plan from all eternity. And the son, you see it in John's gospel, I only do what my father shows me. I come to do, I love to do my father's will. There's this Jesus' whole joyful um, delight is to come and die, which again blows our minds yeah. that you would arrive uh, in the flesh and um, and your whole journey in life is to head to the cross, and you know that's coming. Um, There's one of my favourite poems, and I've mentioned it probably once or twice over the years, but uh, it's called uh, The Coming by R.S. Thomas, and it says, um, the, the father held in his hand a small globe. The son looked. And so there's that's the, how mm. the, the poem starts, right? You've got the father and the son and looking at earth and the son looking intently at what is in the father's hand. And the poem describes this place of great suffering and mm. brokenness and you know disease and pollution and it's just yuck. And you get to the end of it and it says, the son looked, let me go there, he mm. said. You know, and that and that's the heart of Jesus. Yeah, He's going, yeah. I want to go. I want to save this people. I want to redeem this people. Yeah. I want to love them and uh, restore them to who they yeah. ought to be through my death on the cross. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think just reflection on like I've I've seen the Passion and it is pretty graphic, mm. um, very powerful. But I th- again, I think the fixation on all the steps of suffering. We, what we need to do is allow the scriptures to guide us because when you read the Bible, um, yes, there's a like in Mark's gospel. Um, Basically, it was a half of it is actually about the last week, yeah. and the first half is about three years. Yeah, um, and so there is a real sort of look at look at the last week of Jesus' life, um, but the details of the cross um, are not spelled out. Yeah. And he's suffering. So you know, they flogged him, they mocked him, they struck him, they crucified him. Yeah, um, and he's clearly, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is anguish there. Um, now, partly that's because everyone in the ancient world knew exactly what crucifixion meant. Mm. Um, and so we do need to kind of remind ourselves what that meant. And, you know, sometimes people wearing a cross around their neck without really realising, you know, they're, they're basically in one sense wearing, um, you know, uh, a lethal injection room or an electric chair around their neck. That was the, the means of execution the Romans used. So we need to be clear on that. But sometimes you'll see in some denominations they'll have a, a cross with a, a kind of a figure of Jesus on. And that's where they kind of overplayed it because Jesus is not still on the cross. Yeah. Um, yes, he, he died and suffered uh, for our sins, but he rose and he's triumphant. Yeah. Um, and so we've got to have everything in a proper place as the scriptures guide us and direct us. To and, and help us with that partially, James, because because what can that bring about in us? Um, you know, when because when we see the the empty cross, Jesus is not still hanging on the cross; it's completed, and he has done that, but it's in the past and now we uh, have the the joy of sins forgiven. We have the hope of with him for eternity. If in contrast we're focusing on Jesus still hanging on the cross, mm. what do you think that's going to do for us pastorally? As Yeah, as I think it will fixate us on, oh, you need to know how much Jesus physically suffered for you. Yeah. Um, I had a good friend um, who said he, he grew up in a church where that was kind of the thing, and he always felt Jesus' death uh, was a millstone around his neck. Yeah, He's always felt guilty that, look what Jesus had to do, you're a really bad person. Um, 
that's not where the scriptures direct us is that she, you see the love and you see the victory yeah. and you see that he rose and he's triumphant. And so your direction should be um, uh, the risen Lord Jesus uh, victorious. So, you know, in, in Revelation you see a lamb um, looking as if it had been slain and that's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he's victorious and he's a slain lamb. And so that's where you see this victory, triumphant, glorious, powerful, um, having been slain yeah. uh, together. And yeah. guilt is helpful for us to get us to the weight of our sin, the conviction of sin, but then the hope of the gospel yeah, removes yeah. our guilt I, I, and it's unhelpful yeah. to stay in it. Yes, in that, that's right. I, and I would say guilt in the sense of not not um, a subjective guilt but a conviction yes. of, of sin um, because those who belong to Jesus should not feel guilty, Yes, should say, I... I I am guilty in the sense that I, but Jesus paid for that, so I don't need to carry that. Yes. Um, and that's what I think happens, goes wrong, is that this you carry this guilt and you've got to keep on trying to earn God's favour and pay almost pay him back, you know, because well, look what he did for you, sacrifice for you. And that that's a terrible way to, yeah. to do. Uh, as I said in, this, in the beginning of the sermon, often that's um, you live life out of guilt and obligation and a burden rather than joy and freedom. Because yeah. yeah. in contrast... Romans tells us where sin increased, grace increased all the yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we live as people who are who who know that we're um, we're sinful and we're we're convicted when we still sin, and yet we never finish there. Yeah. We rest in the goodness of God's grace, yeah. and we come back to the the balm of the gospel that heals our wounded yeah. hearts. I, I love one of my favorite verses is Romans chapter eight verse one. It says, "Therefore there is now no." Condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That is the assurance and um, the freedom and the settled state of the Christian. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's so helpful for mm. us to, to to move through that like Sunday by Sunday, um, and to come in and talk to think about the the conviction of sin, but the hope of the gospel that uh, replaces that. Um, a question that came up, and we'll finish with this one. It's linked to the uh, idea of the the fixation on the physical suffering of mm. Jesus. Uh, but if Jesus on the cross is the greatest and clearest revelation, how sanitized should we be with mm. our kids? Um, and I think you this came at 4.30 yesterday, great question. Uh, you were talking about the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible handled it um, really appropriately. Yeah, yeah. And they, I think the Big Picture Book big picture book Bible does the same sort of thing at a slightly younger age. Um and I have to find our copy of it. Um, but it just really, there's a real sense that it's clear. I remember reading with our boys when they were younger, really clear that Jesus is dying on a cross and that's awful. Yeah. But it's not this kind of graphic um, kind of traumatic sense. And and so the, I was a really thoughtful question about how do we do that? And I said, look, you, it's got to be age appropriate. And so you've got to know your kids and some kids will be more sensitive and it's not great to kind of, dump all that on them and others kind of really are curious and wrestling with it. And so you've got to work that out. But I think the point about the children's Bibles is that they find a way to bring the reality of the cross to bear without traumatizing. Yeah. And so I think if we, we can so kind of go, Oh, well, just because it's so traumatic, we won't ever talk about it. Mm. Um, and that, that would be kind of wrong. And so this, the cross is some kind of almost magical word that you don't really understand, yeah. but people talk about the cross, the cross, the cross. And you go, I, if you never, kind of explain to you, grow up not really knowing what it is, yeah. right? Because it's, it's, it's quite a di- – I've never tried it, but I imagine it's a very difficult task to write a children's Bible mm. because 
it's easy to do the narrative sections. You can tell the story, mm. but it, it's, it's a bit hard to do like a kid's Bible version of Galatians, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so often what, so often kids' Bibles are grappling with that tension of we're wanting to engage children with Scripture and to teach them true things about Scripture, and yet we want to be pointing to Jesus as the centre mm. of the Scriptures and the sort of the high point of the biblical narrative. And crucially, we want to get to the cross. Mm. And that, that's one of the things that the Jesus Storybook Bible does so helpfully mm. is uh, you know, he whispers his name on every page, mm. you know, that idea that he's, he's everywhere yeah, uh, yeah. if you've got eyes to see him. Yeah, because I, I, as I understand it, um, you know, as, as we develop from childhood into adulthood, we move from things needing to be really concrete yeah. and we can't struggle. We struggle with the abstract. Mm. So like, tell me what, and then as we get older, we're able to deal with subtlety and abstracts and kind of layers. And so that's why I think the storybook was so helpful in the way that it um, finds that way. You know, there's that phrase that runs through the whole book about God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Mm. And it's just a beautiful way of speaking about God's covenant faithfulness, that he yeah. keeps promises and, you know, he's got his plans and he sticks with his people. Um, so, yeah, it's very clever. And so any parents out there are kind of wrestling with that. I, I would recommend if your kids are sort of, you know, primary school age, that's the storybook Bible. Junior primary is a great one to go and yeah. read. Yeah. Sam Davison's got a, a bunch of books and resources that he's mm. keen to uh, lend out to parents. So if you're keen for any tips on that, make sure you do chat to Sam on a Sunday mm. and uh, get his wisdom. Absolutely. Well, everyone, that's another week of Going Deep with John. Hope you've enjoyed that this week. And hopefully it's helpful for you as a little budding theologian to, uh, <laughs> to grapple with the theology of the cross uh, and to see how good it is that our God is revealed to us in that way. As always, make sure you uh, like and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher of choice. That way you get notified of the content as it gets dropped every week. And we'll see you next time on Going Deeper in John. Brilliant. See you then. Thank you for listening. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to connect with us at knowest.org.